but we can... Because Apple invented some new technology. Oh, except for Tile's been doing it for five years. Correct, but uh, Apple just integrates it and uh, takes it after it's gone through all of its beta testing. So is it Evil Empire? Yes. Am I a shill? I'll accept that as well. And hello! (laughs) And welcome to Red Raccoon Radio, your source for tabletop gaming news in Bloomington, Illinois and beyond. I'm your host, John Parrott, and with me today is the outstanding staff members of my friendly local game store, Red Raccoon Games. The people I've managed to learn to talking about games with me today are... This is Jamie. Hi, this is Katie. Ooh, Katie is a hot mic, Sorry. and we're going to be turning her down just a little bit. It's okay, uh, she's excited. She's never been on the podcast before. That's exactly what we want. We want that excitement because we record on a Sunday morning, and that's what we need. Um... I will say we had a very interesting conversation after our last podcast with Ryan where she's like, it's very odd because I feel like I'm on three different podcasts. Uh, John is very much like kind of an NPR type situation. Jamie is doing like the shock mic. Uh, Hey, crazy cats and kittens. Hey, come on now. So, uh, yeah, we definitely have some different energies here, but that's what makes and us special. And she said Jesse's just like the super calm ASMR, and he's talking to the microphone like, welcome to Smooth Beats on Sunday night. Exactly. Just that sweet, sweet jazz you get on AM radio. Um, <laughs> I don't think I have a genre yet. <laughs> no, you're going to get there, though. You're here, you're peppy, you're going to find your way. But that is an excellent point. Katie, this is your first time on the podcast. Uh, and obviously a long-time listener, because when I talked to you about this yesterday and you saw the articles that I posted for us to review, you're like, I'm guessing this is what we do? <laughs> so that was a good sign. Uh, but Katie, why don't you go ahead and tell us, what are your gameologist at Red Raccoon Games? Uh, let us know, what is your speciality specialities in the store? If somebody comes in, what could they come to you for? Um, I think I'm a little bit broader. Um, I really like D&D. I've played D&D for a few years now. I love a bunch of different board games. Um, me and my friends get together to play board games as often as we can, with all of us living not in the same state right now. And um, I've also been getting into Pokemon, both collection and playing. So those are like my realm of influence. And painting minis. I like painting minis. Who doesn't? Me. That's true. You've <laughs> tried, really though. I've seen painting it. Minis. My ADD does not allow this to happen. Your your Albert is pretty impressive. The Albert came out okay. It's like the yeah. only thing I think that has ever came out okay, and that was mostly because I was being guided. Like now, do this pain and put it here. You and had was, a Bob Ross over your shoulder. Yeah, and I was, was trying to I was trying to uh, uh, follow instructions to the best of my ability and and stay with the group instead of going off on some crazy tangent. That's a that's a happy beholder. Let's just let's just make that a little secret <laughs> beholder there. Um, but yes, uh, many of the things that you talk about are exactly what the store is about. It's about finding things you love and then finding more things you love. Speaking of the store, how was the store last week? It was fun. Oh, that's a fun. new word yeah. to use with it. It was. Um, it was obviously the holiday weekend for Thanksgiving. And it's interesting in that we have normally not a lot going on on Black Friday, right? Black Friday for the store is normally actually slower than an average Friday, right? Because a lot of people are still on um, holiday mode. They're still with their family. They're out, you know, and it's we can't compete with some of the crazy sales that the big box stores do. We just... We, we just, we can't. 
And so we got to that Friday. We staffed it according to the last seven years worth of Fridays, and that being a fairly slow Friday. And 11.15, the UPS guy pulled up out front and dropped off 27 boxes. It was me and um, Ryan and Ariel and Kat. And I said, we're not even going to open these. We're just going to stick these in the basement. We're going to continue doing everything to prep the store to make sure everything is ready and so we did that. We had all of our signs up because we just did, in case. You yeah, we know. did it. We had a three day sale. Um, and so we got all the prep done and we had everything ready. And then I walked to the door at noon and I flipped the sign and I could see out the door and I just watched all the car doors on the block open at the same time. <laughs> and everybody got out of their cars and they all came at the door in the same instant. At least and they weren't the crazy people who like camp outside in tents outside of a Best Buy. Yeah, I don't know that that happens anymore with the internet. I, I have, I have, I've been that person. I've done oh, what? I've seen people do it outside of, um, shoot, those resale stores where they get Amazon backflow. They'll just wait outside of the door for hours before they open. Yeah, I I did camp out overnight for the release of, now this is aging myself, Here for this PlayStation 2. Ooh, PlayStation it was, 2. It was worth it. It was yeah. so worth it. Well, and I got the, you know, because they, they Best Buy ran out. This is pre-real internet sales. And Best Buy did run out before all the people in line even got one that day. And um, I walked out with a PlayStation 2 and John Men football and the extra controller and, you know, all the games that were available for the launch of the PlayStation 2. And, uh, and we had a good time. It was a nice night. We played football outside in the um, outside in the parking lot, and everybody respected everybody else's stuff and held their place, and it just turned into a big party. But I don't. I haven't seen that in years now with um, internet sales. I haven't seen any of those crazy things where Kelly's dragging me to get in line at Michael's. Michael's, come on, Michael's. <laughs> of all at, places. At four thirty in the morning because they're having a special on something that she wants. Um, it just, I don't know that that really happens anymore with the internet. But going back to the story, so everybody, the door didn't close. The people were coming in, were catching the door, and the door did not close for probably two minutes. And that's like 50, 60 people walked in the store at the same time. And, and, and everybody that's been here knows that, okay, now the store's full. That's, yep. you know, that's, that's like getting close to capacity. At that's that fire point. hazard at that yeah. point. And it, it didn't stop. We were ready. But we weren't staffed, assuming that 50 people were going to walk in at the same moment. And then they got in line, and then and everybody was in a great mood, and everybody was super cordial to each other. And um, and it turned into a, a kind of a wild ride on that Friday because we weren't staffed for it and weren't expecting it. Overall, great weekend. I talked to a bunch of other retailers in downtown. Um, the uh, Reckless Saint is the record store across the street. Had their best weekend sales ever. Painted Wraith is around the corner. It's a curiosity shop. If you guys haven't been there, it's like um, everything you would imagine the Adams family decorating their mansion with. Which, by the way, we will at some point in time talk about Wednesday on this podcast because I need to talk to you about somebody. So Okay, okay. Uh, Painted Wraith uh, had their best weekend ever. Um Don and Ruben next door at Bloomington Spice Works had, I think they had their best weekend ever. So Their new store looks fantastic. Yeah. Uh, so Kelly came in at some point and brought us all food, which, um, thank you, Kelly. We love Bless you. Her. And uh, she said downtown there are people everywhere. So it was it was great. It was fun. It was people were in a great mood. And um, and it, it, it definitely relieved a level of anxiety that I've had for like three weeks. 
And that wasn't that was not, that wasn't even shop local Saturday, right? Yeah, small business Saturday was the next day, which yeah. was that one we were staffed weren't prepared for. We were ready for that one. We weren't ready for traffic on Black Friday. So now we're going to have to adjust expectations for next year to make sure we have proper staffing levels. Yeah. Katie, did you dodge the rush in all of this? Or? So I offered to come in on Friday and I was not called. Mm-hmm. So, but I was on there on Saturday and I had like a water bottle posted next to the um, register because usually when it gets busy, I just can't register. And I was just like chugging water between customers and my throat hurt so much by the end of the night because I was just talking the entire time. It, it was fun. Yeah, that's fantastic news, especially knowing that, you know, we're, we're trying to get a new store off the ground yeah. and, and having that type of sales days as well as knowing that maybe in the future you're not going to have to figure out how to make a line around a staircase that is inconveniently placed in the middle of your shop yeah. will be really nice. Well, and as a store owner, too, all of the publishers that we work with are trying to shove as much product out the door as they possibly can to make sure it's available for that weekend. And box after box after box shows up and you're paying for it all. And you're like, oh, God, please <laughs> let people actually be interested in this because, um, you know, the inventory keeps popping up. The, the bills keep hitting the credit card. And you're just like, I really hope that the sales happen or, um, you know. And, and so there's always I every year Jesse's trying to talk me off a ledge because there's just a level of my anxiety keeps going up through October and November as more and more stuff keeps showing up. And there's always this fear of like what happens one year that nobody comes and and what happens at that point. Right. Jamie, you find yourself on a ledge a lot. And a lot of the conversations we've had, there's been a lot of talking down for you. If, if you need some more supportive help, we can get you that. I was about um, to say, have you tried therapy? Yeah. It's, yeah. Well, it's you need a therapist? It's, it's the responsibility of I'm responsible for 15 other people, right? I'm not just responsible for me. I'm responsible for 15 other people for making sure they get paid, for the, making sure that they have what they need that doing my best with what I can do to make sure they're healthy. You know, we've had the flu is running around the store in circles. Um, I don't think we've had a day in the last two weeks where everybody has actually made it because somebody has been sick every time. Other people have been covering, they're awesome and working with each other, but, but somebody has been out, at least one person has been out sick like every day for like the last two weeks. And it's there's a level of responsibility that goes with that. And sometimes um, you never know if it's, you know, if you're doing the right thing or not. And I don't know, I get up every day and I try, but yeah, I do have supports, uh, channels. Yeah, Yeah. I do. I I have another, a big group of game store owners that I talk with online and, um, we all talk each other through it, talk it down on a ledge off the ledge and stuff on a regular basis of, have you looked at this? Have you thought about this? And so it's, it's good. There is structure there. Okay. Uh, yeah, that is, what it's all about is trying to get yourself i mean being a small business owner i can only imagine the amount of stress that has to go into that especially when you have staffers that are amazing but you want to keep supported at the same time makes you feel any better i live at home so i don't like have any financial risk going um (laughs) there it is just just one tick of that that health meter goes back up Yeah. yeah um so obviously very busy weekend We'd like to try and think that sometimes you get to actually play the games that you are marching out the door with these huge sales. Uh, so what has been on everyone's table lately? 
I have managed to get in um, several rounds of Carcassonne, which wow. I think I've talked about before is one it's of my favorite, favorite games. games. Yeah. Um, a couple of rounds of Space Base, also in my top five favorite games. Um, God, I probably played with my brother-in-law um, 15 rounds of Splendor um, while we were waiting for Thanksgiving dinner to be finished. We were just cranking through, and just we just kept going. And so that was a lot of fun. And then um, also a couple rounds of Dominion, too. So this was really a Jamie-focused week of gaming for you. I know, right? And, and then my niece um, brought out, I think I've talked about on the podcast, uh, Silver and Gold is a yes. roll and write. Mm-hmm. Well, a flip and write, I guess would be the better term. And uh, Jesse likes to point out that she beat me the last time I played her, and this time I beat her, so... No mercy. Yeah, she brought it out. She's like, nobody else in the house will play this one with me, and I like this one. So That's a good one. Yeah, My wife and I, that's that's an easy one to just put in your pocket or put in a bag and take on the holidays. Yeah. Katie, what about you? What are some games that have been on your table lately? Well, um, I have uh, DM'd my first uh, session in a couple months on Friday. Celebration. Yes. Um, unfortunately, my uh, cat passed away, and I was unable mm. to DM for a little bit. And then um, I was finally ready uh, this week, and we had our um, first session in like a good two months. Um, and I'm currently doing Eberron. Nice. So, and they're in Drome, for those of you who know what Eberron is. Drome is one of my favorite countries in Eberron because, um, like, it's just something we might talk about later. It's um, built of more uh, monstrous races and led by three hags, and kind of like. Um, pushing back on, like, all of, like, the other countries' assumptions of, like, orcs and goblins and hobgoblins and stuff like that, and, like, building actually a very strong and structured community after the war, and, like, this country's only two years old, and they're exploring it, and kind of, like, some of them are from Brayland, so they're challenging their own, like, stereotypes, and it's, like, really cool, um, and we just finished a really fun battle, um, where one of my players can see ghosts. And so they went to this battlefield to help this uh, curio shop owner uh, scavenge for damaged magical goods that she can replicate the enchantments on. And uh, he failed in a deception check to hide the fact that um, the, he can see the ghosts. And the ghosts were like, oh, this one can see us. Does, Maybe. does, does he say, I see dead people? He does not see I see dead people because it's it. secret. Okay. It's like the those missed point. opportunities. Maybe one day... The player Brittany, she is not a stranger to references, so maybe yeah. they'll bust out an I See Dead People. But as of right now, it's a secret. And the ghost just swarmed him. Uh, all the uh, corpses came back to life as zombies, and they just dogpiled him. And I brought him down twice, and it was very fun. So I will tell you that it used to be that I See Dead People was the go-to in my head of what we are talking about when it comes to ghosts. But now the TV show Ghosts that you can watch on Paramount Plus, not that we're sponsored, uh, is fantastic. But if they want to sponsor us. Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, yeah. You're more than available. But uh, <laughs> it is the actress that was from uh, iZombie, as well as okay. the actress who was a Power Ranger. She was one of those at the same time. Not same time, but like before then. Um, but that TV show is just about a woman that can now see ghosts. And when you said swarm, I did not think of a violent interaction. I was just thinking of everyone's like, please, I just want to like turn the TV station because I'm really tired of watching this TV show. <laughs> or can you please move this because it's my room and I don't like it there and things along those lines. Well, I think the ghosts and the TV show ghosts are very different from, you know, like people who died in battle 
bodies that are stranded in the country they were fighting against, unable to be reclaimed. I don't know. One of them was a Boy Scout leader that shot with a bow and arrow through the neck. So I don't think that counts. I think that happens in um, Dresden Files, in one of the Dresden Files books, where they the the ghosts discover that one of the guys actually can see and speak to ghosts, and then they they pile onto him with just the most inane requests. Of they want him to do all the different stuff to the point where it drives him insane. Oh, well, there's plenty of other um, less threatening ghosts. I just want to go hard on this one. In the, so he runs the tarot shop, uh, Brittany's character. And uh, there's this one um, old lady ghost that lives in his shop that hates the fact that he is a scam artist and is not actually reading tarot and she's like a big believer in tarot so she'll just passive aggressively rock this rocking chair really hard every single time he gives a fake reading i love this this is outstanding character and world building this is fantastic i built him yes. some ghosts that he sees on the regular i keep on wanting to do just a, an rpg podcast where i get you katie and like ryan and just some other people and we actually like just sit and just only talk about rpg oh, cool ideas um, but in the case of RPGs, especially in a nation that is completely contained by what we call monstrous creatures, uh, that actually leads us into our first story. So on this podcast, we've talked a lot about one D&D, the new uh, Dungeons and Dragons edition, but it's kind of supposed to be the end all be all because it's going to be constantly updatable and changeable and things along those lines. And the question is, you know, still, how is that going to come out? But right now we're still just in playtesting. And after everything that has happened with the Spelljammer controversy, uh, with some continued talks about uh, representation, with even some TikTok creators really going in hard about, you know, even... Uh, some of the the past implications of the fairy tale stories that then were brought into DD uh wizards of the coast has made a very interesting move and that is they are going to be doing away with the word race uh when it comes to dungeons and dragons uh character types um the idea of thinking that that race is now a much more charged term uh, it was always charged, but now it specifically they are seeing that there is a, an issue that they want to correct, as well as after everything with the Spelljammer controversy, uh, having their new cultural review, I'm sure had some part of this. But the idea is that we're changing the name from race to species. And I think, and Katie, do you feel like this makes a lot more sense? Um, it does make more sense to me because it always felt awkward whenever I was like introducing it characters to be like, you don't like come forward and be like, hi, I'm Nyla, I'm this class and this race. Like, I don't introduce myself and be like, hi, I'm Katie, I work at Red Raccoon and I'm white. Like, no one like introduces themselves that way. So it's always like I try to be more descriptive than just be like, oh yeah, and there's three orcs a hobgoblin and a halfling in this room because it's always a little bit awkward to only boil down these like complex characters and npcs to just their race Mm -hmm. i also feel like it it was very odd that the actual like if you look at the terminology there are subclasses for certain species that Mm -hmm. are actually races within species so different people coming from different lands with different biology and things along those lines um that that term makes more sense than and species i think is just something that as human beings living in a world where we are dominated as the the intelligent species on the planet questionably sometimes but most of the time Third most it, there it is yeah. um we can definitely say that you know we don't we're the only 
you know, we are the human race. We don't have to normally interact with other mm-hmm. species that way. So this does seem like it's it's more of just a, a proper terminology, even not just a, a racial. Epitaph. So I can see that, but let me give you a counterpoint. Um, uh, and and I understand why they're making this decision, and I get it. But um, I started playing D and D when I was seven, right? When I got the first set of books and everything. And so in those books, there were humans, right? There was not white humans, black humans, you know, Mexican humans, Asian humans. There was none of that. There was humans. There was the human race. And I, I sometimes I wonder if that shaped some of my worldview at the same time because it was continually hammered in in those books that all humans are the same race, right? And so now that we're saying that the word race is so, um, you know, race has got political connotations, it's got cultural connotations, and I get all that too, but ultimately, you know, I, I think that, I wonder if there's anything problematic of saying that we are not all the same human race. And I just wonder about that where um, maybe gamers um tend to be more aware because it's it's just been something like if you played D&D your whole life, it's just like all humans are the same race, you have the same stats, you have the same pool, you have anything like that. You happen to have maybe a different color skin based on where you come from in the world you live in, but all humans have the same race and have the same abilities is not a horrible thing to continue to push into people's minds that we are all the same. We are really all the same. There are some maybe some physical characteristic differences that are so minor compared to the fact that 99.9% of our DNA is the exact same with each other. I just wonder if there's, if there's some, something we lose by finally caving into some of the, you know, what has almost become a political volleyball of, of saying, okay, well, now we have to acknowledge that we're, now we're saying that maybe everybody is not the same. I don't know. I wonder. You know, see where I'm going with that? I like the positive outlook that you had in that by seeing ourselves in a world where there's so much diversity beyond what we can experience in the normal everyday, seeing humans as, you know what, we are looking so much at our differences because we're living, you know, one at a time, uh, and, and we only see each other. Like, what would it be like? How much more unifying would it be if we did have elves and orcs and halflings and like how would we see our race as it were i was trying to i was trying to think of like what's an all-inclusive term for D and i was like maybe we're all part of the same humanoid race and i don't think that would work i don't think that's what it was but katie you you were looking like you were chopping at the bit to say yeah something. um so and i think the article mentioned this just changing the word race species is a very superficial change that they're doing because it doesn't really get down to the nitty-gritty of it and i won't get into the nitty-gritty of it But um, speaking as a writer and as a specifically children's writer, even if they do this change, um, there is um, in the literary and fantasy field a natural draw to relating um, non-human characters as minorities, like minorities watching it and like that's the outside race. And a lot of children's cartoons will use monsters as a way to get around 
kind of like executive censorship to talk about race. And so I think that even if they do this change, it's still like, how are they talking about these other races? How are they describing them? I've had a lot of problems with their Krokra and the Tabaxi, two characters I've played and had to basically ignore half of the descriptions in the books for them because it felt belittling and frustrating to have my entire character be like, oh yeah, and because they're a tabaxi, they're a kleptomaniac and a hoarder, and I'm just like, what? Okay, Um, that's in the books. It's insane. But I think that um, overall, like, even if they change it to speak, I don't think that's the biggest thing I'm worried about when it comes to D&D racism. If they change the species, fine. I don't specifically care one way or the other because that's not the root issue I'm worried about. I can see that. And with one D&D, they actually are taking a note of what you're saying, in fact, because they're they're now attributing more of your specialities, more of your um, personality types to your background instead of what will now be known as species. Uh, so backgrounds will now have added bonuses as well as a feat added to them. So if you are a city guard, that's when you're going to be stalwart and helpful. And maybe you'll have a special feat for like Sentinel or something along mm-hmm. those lines. Uh, whereas, you know, that used to just be like a, the Hobgoblin race in current 5e is all about like, I can help you. I'm just a helper person. Like that's mm-hmm. my special ability. But that, that, that shouldn't come from who they are. It should be yeah. who they have become over no, exactly. time. And I think that like of the books I've read, Eberron handles this the best because when they have the descriptions of like Shifter and Warforge in the books, it's more about how the world is seeing them and handling them than about things that they do because they are Shifters or it's not boiled down to just traits. It's like, oh, because Shifters are linked to Lycanthropes and the uh, Church of the Silver Flame is such a, sorry, such a huge, um, presence in Eberron, a lot of shifters have been pushed to the sidelines because people don't trust them. And Warforge are heavily debated as if they're even alive or not. And I think that, like, if you're going to write a um, race, species, whatever it ends up being, um, I think it's really smart to include how the world sees them and what challenges you're going to face playing this character um, as the kind of species you choose. I could definitely see that. Yeah, it's it, there's so many implications um, as we're playing, but I think that you know one of the things that I have always loved about D and D is um, the the overall messages that that it, it broadcasts, right? And I think that um, uh, just the use of of imagination to say. You know, when parents come in and they're worried about D&D, I'm like, this is literally we are in cooperatively telling stories with each other about what we want to do as people where we might not feel empowered to as an individual. But your character can quite literally do just about anything that they want. I mean, and if, you know, very rarely do you see somebody who's playing a character um, that is true evil. It, it almost never happens, right? And because in I think that as humans, we default to most people want to do good. Most people want to help each other. Most people want to feel like they're empowered to. There are very notable exceptions to that rule. And I'm not dismissing bad people doing bad things. But, but I think that's one of the things overall about society is that most people 
you know, I don't know. I just, I tend to believe in the good of people as a, a whole, knowing that there are exceptions. And, and D&D allows people to express themselves in that way. And so um, I think you're right. I think that the words that we use when we're talking about it are, are very important as well and how we we play stuff too. And it's, it's this interesting idea. Monsters, I definitely think, have been cast as a, as a minority. But, you know, thinking to some of the other species like elves and dwarves and some of the campaigns I've played in have been exclusively elves or exclusively dwarves over the years as well. And it just gives a very different feel and take on things. Yeah, that's kind of another thing I wanted to mention is when you um, open a new adventure book, most of the adventure books are set in Forgotten Realms, but when you open something like Eberron or Theros or any of the other ones, uh, humans are always present, but not every other playable race is present, which I find interesting is that humans are always involved, but you can't always play an Ergar Krokra. You can't always play a Hobgoblin. Um, because, especially in Theros, it has a very limited list to what you can play, and I threw that aside and I said you can do whatever you want. Um, because at the end of the day, it really, um, unless you're like Critical Role or something and you're broadcasting it, uh, you do what's comfortable in your private circle. You do what your players are comfortable with, and obviously you don't want to like enable anybody who's maybe doing something that makes other people uncomfortable, or you're worried about them pursuing in other fields, but like, me and my friends go, okay, we read the descriptions of whatever species we're playing and we toss it aside. We take what we want and we ignore most of it, typically. Um, I usually will take just the appearance and I use their stat blocks, but for the most part I'm like, okay, so what kind of culture are they going to be participating in? Uh, where are these like very damning descriptions coming from? In um, Drome, one of the city's gray wall is run by an illithid. And as I'm kind of constructing the city and I'm taking the... Um, Drome as a more peaceful uh, nation striving to build itself. You can definitely play it as evil. I'm sure people have definitely played it as evil, but I'm uh, pushing, and Eberron leaves it open to interpretation, but I'm pushing for more of a, they just want to survive and have their own little nation. Um, I'm like, okay, so where does the term Mind Flayer come from? Why are there two different names for them? What if Mind Flayer is what the Braillish people call them? What if that's like just like a terrible like rumor? Slang or yeah, yeah, and it's really illithid and that whole oh they have to eat brains of humanoids thing. That's another rumor. That's like a scary thing for them to like fuel war efforts. Like instead they can eat any brain. People can eat brains. That's like a delicacy in some places. So it's just like yeah, they just pick up brains from the butcher. They're from cows or something. And instead the part where they eat human brains is more of a cultural remembrance. Like, if they consume a brain, they can remember their memories, and it's kind of a way for your loved ones to live on in this kind of, like, elder brain memory move past, and it's completely optional. I think that all of that you described was fascinating, to say the least, from a D&D player aspect, but also the most important element, I think, that we sometimes gloss over, because what Wizards of the Coast really have to focus on is they are laying down the basis. Mm-hmm. But all of us, as players, as DMs, as fans, the, the thing is, they just give us the math. We can make up the story. They give us the ability to regulate ourselves. But as you were saying, and, and even kind of in a toss-away statement where, like, we threw that all out. Exactly. Like, as long as you have the math, these stories can be anything you want. You can dream with these tools. They are just making sure that if you need a place to start, even if it's saying, I don't like this and I don't want to use it, 
that is what Wizards of the Coast is trying to present. And through this new cultural diversity and acceptance and inclusion, saying we want to make sure that when we give you something, it's for everyone. Yeah. It's, it's accepting of everyone. And it's a, it's a new basis for people to start with instead of just thinking... Tolkien had it right, or you have to use this type of mythology in order to make this work. Yeah, and I think it's just important to just, um, like, even if, like, I have issues with stuff, I'm never going to not play in D&D. It's just about having that critical eye and kind of taking a second look at things. Like, I've had players before who take things way too literally, and I've had to pull them back. Um, I've had um, classmates um, who I've had to talk them down from portraying certain races in a certain way because in literature, in broader literature, you're going to have that problem of if you're making a D&D adaptation or something and you just take a goblin or something straight from the book, people are going to feel offended by it. And it's just about looking a little bit more critically, looking a little bit deeper and thinking, what can you do with this beyond just what's written in the book? I wish someone would have told Freckled Hobo that on TikTok. Um, that's an inside <laughs> cut for those of you. No. I'm not on However, TikTok. I'll, I, we'll, safer for your sanity. Yeah. I'm on Tumblr only. That, I don't know if that's any safer whatsoever. Yeah, I don't know. You, can, yeah. you cannot be on the sexy part of Tumblr. It's possible, I promise. There's a we we can talk more about that a little bit later. There's <laughs> there's a lot of things to say. But I do want to say spinning off of RPG. So looking at Dungeons and Dragons, that's a big thing that we talk about within this world because within the board game world because it's a touchstone. It's something that we all know. However, there's a new RPG coming out that I know Jamie has wanted to talk about and sadly we've had to one time gloss over uh, one time we were almost going to talk about it, but Jamie wasn't able to be on the podcast. So I want to give him a chance to talk about the fact that the new Marvel Multiverse RPG is already in playtesting and already we're seeing some definite changes. And Jamie, I think the last time we talked about it, you're kind of excited to play as Spider-Man. I don't know who I want to play as. Okay. I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm torn, right? And I grew up on Marvel comics and... And it's it's funny because I have other friends that grew up on just just DC comics, and and I know enough about DC comics to be aware of you know your your major players in there. But um, yeah, I mean, I I think that there's so many possibilities. Um, but Spider Man is is God. When did Spider Man come out? Like sixty five or something like that. I don't and, know, here, but yeah, sounds yeah. Like he's you know, and and I'm he's he's such a cultural icon. Um, and, and then there's been all the different iterations of Spider-Man and Spider-Gwen and Miles Morales and Spider-Ham. And, um, and then also I'm a huge X-Men fan too. And so how are they going to handle, um, you know, mutants in this system as well? And so it's, it's just, I don't even know where I would start. I'm, I'm not even sure. I don't know. There, the, I almost would go into analysis paralysis just thinking about all the possibilities for the characters. Do you go with the, you know, you could go with the space characters, Star Lord, or some some place like that, or you could go with, you know, oh god, I, I'm just babbling now. I'll no, just, it I'll makes sense. Uh, the RPG that's coming out though is going to give you all of those options, and from what we've seen, they are going to have you know characters kind of pre-built already. But one of the interesting things that I've noted is. This is one of the few times where I've seen a playtest come out before there's even a first edition out, and already we're seeing changes and developments. And I think that's really, you know, in the Marvel world, they anything you slap Marvel on is going to make money now. And especially with the Marvel Cinematic Universe, it opens up a whole new world of, well, 
are you playing as the MCU characters? Are you playing as the, the comic book characters? What is going to be your choices there? And so that's why I'm, I'm very interested in the fact that also this is not the first time that they've tried this. They've tried multiple Marvel RPGs over the years. Yeah, there's been um, at least two that I have looked at, and then there's been at least two DC comic RPG systems that I, I'm, again, I'm aware of. But there's, there's there could be a lot more that I don't even know about. And um, I don't know. It's 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 going to be interesting to see how this one comes out. Uh, I think I have seen a couple of beta tests from like Humblewood had a bunch of beta stuff out there before they released their books, um, but it doesn't happen very often unless you're in a very closed circle for beta testing an RPG book. You have to be in the inner sanctum circle almost. Got there. I like the little reference. I, I like that. I threw, I threw Sanctum Sanctorum. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. And, uh, but uh, uh, having a public, such a public one where they just said, hey, here's the first draft. What do you think? Where are we going to go? Um, is definitely an interesting, um, for such a, a huge potential release, is definitely an interesting approach to it as well. Well, I think it um, gives the opportunity for people to play it in their home games and kind of give it a longer test than just like, writers puzzling out in a writer's room because when you actually play a certain class subclass whatever then you can kind of like get into the niche of how it works long term um i've had a lot of players complain about the ranger and have tweaked ranger for them um i think ranger's fine but you know what they were upset so um and and i think that like getting feedback is also a great way to build like excitement for the full release to build like a loyalty kind of thing like oh yeah i actually got to contribute to the final version of this i think that i think you're right i think it definitely gives some ownership right when the final book releases um does that help with sales right of the book or, mm-hmm. you know because that's ultimately what it's all about yeah is uh, is did the book sell did the pdf sell and is it because you got to play test it at Gen Con, PAX Unplugged, wherever it might have been. Did your, you know, did you play in your home group? Where did you run it at? What was the structured format? And so I think, you know, it's just that's an interesting viewpoint. That is, it is it just another form of marketing? But it's a form of marketing with productive, you know, outcomes in that maybe you end up with a better first product. And I think you can do marketing and also it be kind of like a sweet thing too. Like, I think that's like, oh, yeah, we want our fan base to be a part of this. And it might be good marketing, and it might also just be something they genuinely want. I don't... Sweet marketing is good marketing. Sweet marketing. I will tell you that uh, I, I've done not extensive research into the Marvel RPG systems of the past, but in my life, I've always kept an eye out for them. I have uh, purchased ones where it seems to be, I believe, from maybe the 80s, where you had, like, maps that you would unfold from your book, and there were little character standees for each of your characters, and, you know, they all had stats. My favorite one, I, and I can't find the exact naming of it, but it was an RPG system for Marvel that actually you got a deck of cards. And you played it kind of like a poker hand almost whenever you did something. So you could, like if you did a strength check, you looked at your hand, were there any green strength cards that you could add to it? Great. Uh, then that's how you could kind of modify all of the moves that you did. However... One element that I think is interesting about this from what you guys were saying is the fact that when that initial book came out and the deck of cards came out, there were also, at release, six books 
of source material and that was two for just care for like story ideas and the rest of them were here's all the x-men characters here's fantastic four allies and villains um here's the avengers and every single page it was just chock full of the characters their stats and how you wanted to play them which can be a little intimidating yeah it's a little chonky it was yeah as a person that loved just reading about comic books and didn't have enough friends to actually play an rpg it was fantastic like i because they had their full like biographies there it was like the internet in my hands for comics um but as a player system now looking back at it looking at one D &D, now seeing what that they're playtesting i bet this means that they have not finalized anything after this that they are still making modifications so that whenever what they want to do comes out they're going to make sure that it's perfect where they see D&D struggling with okay well we now need to change these things and this edition needs to change things i am wondering if they're saying we want to make this as perfect as possible before it's ever first released so that way it comes out with not only our vision but the player's vision and as we create more materials, we know what is important to people and how to correct our, our course. Yeah, and I think D&D is doing this a little bit. Recently they've, well, not recently, recently, but for a little bit they've been doing Unearthed Arcana, where they'll release subclasses or spells or things mm -hmm. to get people's feedback before that. But before they were doing that, they definitely had things like Tasha's that would introduce new things. Which, Corrections and yes. new ways to, to play the game. Mm -hmm. Alternates, yep. Alternate subclass features, alternate ways to use. Um, my favorite is Bardic Inspiration. I like that you can sing at somebody and they hit harder. I think it's funny. <laughs> There's some awesome memes for Bardic Inspiration that are out there, too. I've never actually had a campaign without a bard. It's so funny. Every single time one of my players wants to be a bard. Really? Yeah. No, I can't. I, don't, I think the last three or four that I've run have not had a bard. Um, you know, here's here's an interesting thing from a from a, a, a business perspective on this process that they're going through too is one of the ideas and concepts that has gained a significant amount of traction in the last I don't know call it decade is MVP minimum viable product of getting something done and getting it out there and then iterating on it over and over again but you've got to have something done and published and pushed out there. And, and then modify it and move it forward as well. And that's every business school is talking about every, you know, you, if you work at a, a big corporation, you, you probably have heard of Six Sigma and, and Scrum and, and all these um, process applications for moving business forward. And MVP almost always comes up in those. This minimum viable product, get something, get it published, get it done, get feedback, move to the next one. And so this idea of stopping, I guess you could say that the playtesting is maybe MVP, but, but they haven't actually turned on a revenue generating portion of this yet. Right. So I don't know. It's just an interesting from a, from a business analysis perspective to say that they have done nothing to this point that generates revenue. They are getting the feedback that they need. I guess maybe it's a, a, a maybe the pockets are, are deep enough to sit and stop and say, you know, we are going to iterate and we're going to do these things, but we don't care about the revenue generation portion of, of this process yet to, to actually get a, a product to market. It's, it's just an interesting thought process. I will say they're probably getting a bit of free labor out of it because a lot of the uh, just fans are doing a lot of the testing for them, so that means employees don't need to do that instead. So that probably helps a little bit. 
Um, I don't pretend to know anything about business. I am not a business person. Uh, but that's the only thing that comes to mind. It's one of the reasons why it could be helping. And I did want to just, you know, I think that's a very valid point. And I know that we have talked about on this podcast before that non-mainstream RPGs don't do well. Yes. And I, I question if they are going to do enough to make this into a mainstream RPG with all of this testing, with all of it. Or are we just going to have another splash in the pan of, oh, there's an alternative. If you want to give it a try, there's two or three books that are great. But as, as great as Magical Kittens are, as we talked about multiple times, Ariel's in love with it. Um, it, it's probably not going to survive into the next five years. This and is my so. weekly shout out to Monster Hearts 2. If you yep. haven't played Monster Hearts 2, <laughs> I would definitely try it out. It's super cool. It's really interesting. Critical Role has done a one shot on it called Cinder Rush. If you want to see how it's played, I am not sponsored. I just really like Monster Hearts. We're kind of sponsored. I mean, we're a Darrington press provider, so I think that well, we're a little counts. bit sponsored by Critical Role, but Monster yep. Hearts is getting nothing out of it besides me really liking them. Yeah, it's. Um, I don't know. It's I don't, is it longevity for the D and D's been here for so long? Is it you know Pathfinder? When I first bought the store in 2014, Pathfinder outsold Dungeons and Dragons two to one uh, until Fifth Edition came out, and D and D really kind of righted the course. And since then, Pathfinder has kind of fallen to pieces with release of Pathfinder 2.0. I was going to say, uh, is lo- it is it the release of 5.0 D&D that caused it, or was it the release of 2.0 Pathfinder? I think the release of 5.0 and the regaining of the market share forced their hand into releasing Pathfinder 2.0. Mm-hmm. Because with Pathfinder 2.0, they really kind of were trying to push it as when you're ready for something more advanced than... Dungeons and Dragons. That's that was the kind of the marketing push they took with Pathfinder 2.0 is D&D doesn't have enough options. When you want options, when you want more feats, more spells, more character options, more subclasses, more races slash species. When you want more, <laughs> we are more. And it didn't work. All it really did was ticked off the Pathfinder original player base who were super mad that Pathfinder had been putting out five books a year for seven years, and now most of those books were no longer valid, mm-hmm. and um, they wanted them to move forward. You know, and, and I think you have that every time you have um, edition creep as well. But nothing has been able to break in and really kind of make the dent at this point. Even Shadowrun, the new version of Shadowrun, has God, uh, I want to say like fifteen source books that are out there. And, and I didn't know it was that much already. Yeah, it's it's quite a bit of, of content that's already out for the new version of Shadowrun, and yet we dribble out one or two a month, and and last weekend we sold 20-something copies of the Player's Handbook by itself. Well, I think part of it is definitely Critical Role, Dimension 20, all of these really popular shows that are getting a new generation excited for D&D. Like, I think... I. I mean, I, I don't remember where I saw this, so take it with a grain of salt, but there was some statistic I was looking at where after Critical Role really started getting popularity, so did a new wave of, like, D&D players. Absolutely. And, a no, lo- and like, Tal'Dorei campaign sa- settings sa- sells really well. 
because um, a lot of people want to play in that world that they've watched. And I think that that's one of the ways I started playing D&D. One of my friends was a critical role fan. And Do you know who me- the fastest growing market share is for D&D? Teenage girls. 100%. And Looking every, at you, Katie. Um, yeah. Everybody and everybody points it back, directly points the figure back to Critical Role and whoever at Wizards of the Coast went, how do we capitalize on that? And went out and made more shows that are, they're not yeah. Critical Role, but they're, ooh, hey, uh, Hollywood D-list actors, voice actors, that's working. Let's go find more of them and make more shows. And we're going to make an entire show with WWE wrestlers, and we're going to try to go after that. We're going to make Austin an entire Creed. show. Yep. Even even the smaller people are still doing D and D. Like once again, not sponsored, but I'm a little biased. My friend Jordan runs a podcast called Late to the Party. Check it out, WBNE Radio. Uh, still not sponsored, but that it's D and D. Owes us twenty bucks now, just so you know, for that shout out. Just going to say, <laughs> uh, I owe who twenty bucks? You owe us for okay. that shout out. He you does. Take it out of my paycheck. Yeah. Um, but it's still D and D formatted. Like all of the smaller D and D podcasts I've listened to are all D, like are all D and D podcasts. Like I haven't managed to stumble upon any other format and any of the recommendations I've been getting on YouTube or the podcast app or anything else. So I think that like the when the majority of like people producing things are doing D&D. The other things are lost because that's how people find things is watching them. Like, I don't, like, either you hear it from a friend or you stumble upon Critical Role and start watching people roleplay for the first time. Every high school in the Bloomington Normal Market has a D&D club. Several of the junior highs are now starting D&D clubs. Not Call of Cthulhu clubs, not Pathfinder clubs, not Monster Heart clubs. They're starting D&D clubs. Monster Heart clubs is not appropriate for high school or junior high. That's fair. Okay, that's, that's fair. fair. Um, but it's, uh, you know, kind of to bring us back around, how is a Marvel RPG system going to... They're taking this time. They're taking the effort. They're trying to build the best system that they can. They've got a fairly massive um, IP to work from, um, although... And, and let me put a twist on that IP, too. Uh, a lot of my friends are saying that they have Marvel fatigue right now. Yep. Too many movies, too many TV shows. As, as, a, as, a, as a fanboy, I'm eating it up and I'm loving it. And uh, Kelly had enjoyed um, all the stuff with Iron Man all the way through the Infinity War. And since um, or the, the last movie, um, Endgame, she really hasn't shown a lot of interest of wanting to start the new phase, right? She really didn't show a lot of interest of wanting to go see the new Doctor Strange movie, the new um, Ant-Man movie coming out. She She's kind of like, uh, I'm over it. I, I watched the story. The story ended. I'm done. I'm, I'm, I'm ready to move on to a different thing, too. So how is, is Marvel fatigue going to play into um, the release of this new RPG? Yeah, exactly. as someone who's been experiencing Marvel fatigue, like, I was in theaters for Endgame. I cheered like everybody else when Captain America caught the hammer. Spoilers. Okay, it is pre-pandemic, okay? <laughs> if you enough, haven't seen enough. it by now, what are you doing with your life? Um, but if you haven't seen it by now, you don't care. Uh, but, like, I, the last movie I saw in theaters was Spider-Man Far From Home, and I loved it. And then pandemic hit, and I couldn't bring myself. I still haven't been to the theater since pre-pandemic because I just haven't. A, I don't have anyone to go with because all my friends live outside of town. Uh, college life, yay. Uh, post-college, everyone moved away. <laughs> but um, I'm too loud, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> 
but I've just, I haven't had that much drive to like go out and see it. Like the best I got was one day I got bored and I watched Shang-Chi and I loved it. It was amazing, but I haven't been able to bring myself to theater. It's not even for Wakanda forever. And I loved Black Panther. Yeah. I need to see that movie. Well, and I'm going to take one more twist real fast before we move off the subject. Too. Okay. Yeah. PAX Unplugged was just this last weekend, and they announced the 2022 American Tabletop Awards at PAX Unplugged. And Coyote and Crow, the RPG uh, written by, written for, written about um, Indigenous Peoples, won Best RPG System of the Year. And yet, it is you know it, it, it was not a commercial success. It has not sold well. I've seen the... Um, I've seen the um, the guy, who, the publisher, one of the guys in the company, posting on some industry forums saying, I don't understand why a system like this can't get into every game store and why the sales aren't better. And the stores pushed back and they said, well, you have to understand not every game store is the same. It all depends on the store. We are one of the few stores that has such a diverse selection of RPGs and board games and card games and uh, and miniature games. And there's a lot of stores that really focus on card games plus board games or card games plus miniatures games. RPGs are not a, a, a hugely uh, prevalent section in most stores except D&D. Uh -huh. And so, you know, there was it was an interesting thing to see that this game won the game of the year for the RPGs and yet the the guy the the publisher was talking about he couldn't get his even get his books into a lot of stores and so I don't know, just an interesting touchstone there as well that also is going to play back to this Marvel concept yes well it's not fully surprising to me because that's how the Oscars usually goes those movies aren't necessarily box talk um uh what's the term I can't remember they're not successful yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um, but they still get to the Oscars. Like, if you're going to go see an Oscars film, you wait until the list is introduced, and then you watch them, like, at home. But for, like, marketing standpoint, the best thing you can probably do is see if you can get Critical Role to do a one-shot with your system. I'm sure that boosted Monster Hearts like crazy. That's why I bought the book as I watched Cinderbrush, and I'm like, that's a really cool system. I want it. I'm sure Call of Cthulhu spiked after Taliesin did his one-shot. Like, if you want to get your stuff out there, and I'm sure this Marvel company probably has the strings to be able to pull if they're doing something like this, they should definitely reach out and see, hey, Critical Role, will you do a one-shot with our system? Because that will get people attention. I've seen Matt Mercer dressed up as um, Gambit. And All if that of doesn't their, happen again, their last, it's be Yeah, their last... Uh, ho um, Halloween. Halloween episode, they were all X-Men characters. There's a, another news article. There's a candle that's coming out. It smells like new board game. Uh, it's fantastic. I can't think of a segue for it. Um, you can find it. I, I went ahead and purchased it. So it is going to be a Christmas gift for a certain someone in my life. Uh, and I'm trying to track down right now. So does, bear with me. Does she listen to these podcasts? I just no. know. Okay. I was like, no. does she know what she just got? No, she does uh, not. She it says new board game candle smell will reportedly evoke the nostalgia of a childhood long since past through the smells of cardboard and freshly dried ink. That's that's their marketing. And I mean, that is a smell. Like, I knew exactly what they were talking about as they described it. I knew right away. That's fantastic. Uh, you can order it. If you go to the article on Dicebreaker written by Alex Meehan, uh, that article, The Candle Smells Like the Inside of a Freshly Opened Board Game, 
uh, you can go ahead and see at the bottom of the article, there is a link to the CMYK store. Uh, it is about $40, $50 with shipping. Um, but yeah, they, they've done a few other board games, actually, that they've crowdfunded. But this is just one of the first things that they're just weirdly releasing. And I'm kind of into it. So we'll see what else comes from them. You know, as somebody that is married to a school teacher, I didn't realize that other people paid for candles. Mm-hmm. Because <laughs> Kelly gets candles as a gift so often that we literally have a closet in the basement that is just the candle storage area to keep them away. cool until it's time for that one to come out and get burned for the correct season that they, it goes with. They are we a need gift. a reliquary. My mom loves candles. She is also a school teacher. So we also actually we've been getting a lot of baked goods recently, which is surprising. But yeah, I mean this reminds me of just like book candles. I've seen plenty of those. There were some at like Bob's Bay. Last time I went, that were like different genres of books, and it would be like, and they all included like some kind of like, like page smell or fresh ink smell and roses or like the, something else like that. And I think there's just like a market for like niche candles that like remind you of something funny. Uh, yeah, I would. I, I'm not a candle person, but I can see people getting into this. Bacon candles. Yeah. There's there's everything. And candles. there's bourbon barrel whiskey candles, and there's uh, 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 IPA candles for beer drinkers that are out there as well. There is, uh, you know, memory tied to smell. It's there. I, I, I'm not to cut this off, but we are, we got into it today. All right. We, we are long in the tooth. But I do want to talk about, you know, new hotness, one of our favorite segments. What is new on the shelf? Did I remember to post a photo to Teams about what's in there? I did not. Uh, it is not there yet, so I'm going to let you guys vamp a little bit about what you can remember that's on there, and look to your phones. You should receive a message here soon. No, so uh, there's there's actually a bunch of really fun stuff that's come in, and uh, with the massive push of the holidays to get everything out the door, everything that's in the new hotness has been there for like a week because we can't even keep – we normally say two weeks worth of stuff, and we can't even fit two weeks worth of stuff right now. One of the games that's in there that I am – most interested in playing is Verdant. We got the Kickstarter version of Verdant, and Verdant is a game about placing succulents, uh, the plant succulents, around your house in such a way that where the plants are going to do the best with the amount of light they get, the amount of uh, how warm the room is, what um, if I don't know if it's feng shui or but they score points based on certain plants like to be in certain areas. You get bonuses for for certain rooms of the house, and so it's kind of a a set collection and placement um, thing, and uh, I think it looks awesome. We've got the Kickstarter version of that and the regular version. And then the other big one that's a big, giant, crunchy one that I'm going to have to make John um, read the rule book to and then teach me later is Weather Machine. And That game looks gorgeous. It Yeah, and um, it's by, and I never say this guy's name, Lacerda, Vit- Vito Lacerda, Vital Lacerda. And every game he puts out is this massive engine-building worker placement game. I mean, he's the guy who did Kanban. He's the guy who did um, uh, Lisboa. He did On Mars, which is so much better than Terraforming Mars, and yet so much crunchier than Terraforming Mars. And so Weather Machine is his newest one, and I'm, I'm totally jazzed looking forward to playing that one as well. Um, I'm surprised we've gone five minutes now and you haven't talked about the fact that G.I. Joe Mission Control is on the very top of the shelf. I, 
we talked about it a lot on one of we our live videos. Your um, love for it, though, I, I don't know if it can be contained. I'm, I'm, uh, yeah. Are you it's hesitant? Snake Eyes, uh, Hawk, Lady Jane. I think he's just going Scarlet. into a daydream. Here's what I think, Katie. Cobra right. Commander. He's just going to keep on naming yep. G.I. Joe characters while yep. we talk. Uh-huh. That's um, <laughs> See, it's the Roadblock. same system that the Power Rangers board game is built off of. Okay. So I think what he's afraid of is he's going to ask Jesse or I to play that, and we're going to say, sure, and then we're going to bring in all of our weeb Power Ranger characters that are completely compatible with the game, and we'll be like, what? Why can't Storm Shadow fight with the Green Ranger? Like, why is this a problem? And he's going to hate us and, and but love playing That's it exactly at the same time. exactly where I thought this was going to yeah, go. Yeah, you knew it. You knew it. See, something I'm excited about from the new hotness, unfortunately, I haven't played or heard of many of these games. There's too many board games for me to too keep up with. Too many board games. Too many board games. Um, we have a new uh, dice storage system. It's this cute little binder. I kind of wish it was oriented the other way, but it's like a foam binder, and it's a great place to keep, like... Um, gemstone dice and glass blown dice. And it's just mm. this neat little black. Yeah, binder. it zips. It zips flat like mm-hmm. a folio. So in every dice is in its own little foam protective mm-hmm. area. So um, you can hold a bunch of sets in it, but know that they're protected if you don't want like all your really nice metal dice crunching your gemstone dice in your oh, bag yeah. or something, or your sharp edged dice all of a sudden are no longer sharp edged because they've been beat up so much. Yeah, as someone who has always hesitated getting gemstone dice because I keep all of my dice in my big um, dice bag of hoarding, of course sponsored by Darrington Press, um, I don't, I don't, they'll just get chipped up. I think it's actually called Bailey's Dice Bag. I, I just call it the Dice Bag of Hoarding. Okay, yeah, okay. Dice that bag checks of out. Okay, okay. Um, it's, it's the Dice Bag of Hoarding. It's huge. Yeah. I have it mostly filled already because I'm a little, I'm a little hoarder. Um, and, like, I've, I, I don't like keeping things in individual cases. It's going to take up enough, too much room. But, like, this thing has me really tempted to um, start collecting yeah. gemstone dice because it's a way better way to... Uh, keep them all neat without it just having like six stacks of those like or or octagonal um, hexagonal whatever uh, foam things that we let you take them home in. Yeah, the uh, yes, I agree with you on that one. Of keeping the the dice protected, which is one hundred percent why I ordered that one. I was like, oh, this is mm-hmm. it's a nice niche. Mm-hmm. I think one of the other massive releases. Well, there's two other massive releases that are in the new hotness right now too. One is Wingspan Asia. Wingspan, of course, one of the best-selling games of the last five years. I think I I read somewhere that they've now passed over a million units, which is a huge, huge, huge milestone that very few games actually do. People love birds. Especially with the competition that exists out there. Now there's so many more games. Um, And Wingspan Asia is kind of cool because you can buy it and play it as a two-player game. Or you can add it onto your existing wingspan to make your existing wingspan go to seven players, or you can play it as a solo game. And I think that's just a really cool amount of flexibility to give somebody start off simple, play a small and basic version of the game versus um, going so crazy with um, and, and overloading people with too many options. The other huge one that's in there that we're having a hard time keeping stock and I um, is Catacomb. Um, Clank Catacombs. And 
Um, I love Clank because it uses one of my favorite mechanics in there being um, uh, a deck builder mm -hmm. to move around the board game. However, the original Clank, the board had two sides and then that was it. So you, after a while, you could come up and with a strategy that said, this is how I'm going to go in. I'm going to go this path. I'm going to buy these cards and I'm going to get these treasures out of the dungeon and then get out. Clank Catacombs is now a tile-laying system, and John, you know that I'm a massive fan of tile Love systems. Him. He's addicted to that cardboard square. I am. And so now the board is a different board every time. You don't know how it's going. To, until you move into a room, you don't know what the tile's going to be. And I was talking to one of the designers about this at Gen Con, which it won Best of Gen Con. It, was the, it won Best of Gen Con for board games. And he said that most games will only use about 75% of the tiles. So that means that every game will be by default different because you're not going to even see some of the tiles. That, oh, I really need this tile and I can do this thing. It may never come up. That's fantastic. Oh, yeah. yeah. Some of my favorite uh, games are tile systems. Forbidden Island, that whole line. I love it when the board game moves around. 100%. I want to give a shout out just real quick to uh, Dice Throne, Santa versus Krampus. <laughs> Um, definitely going to be picking that up at some point. Uh, I have kind of a backlog I need to get through. But I did want to ask a question if either one of you had looked at the game Heat. Uh, it looks like a car racing game, and right now the number one for me is Downforce, which I feel like is just a stellar, you know, you're done with Monopoly, let's take it up a notch game, because everyone can play, everyone has some interaction, and you don't have to win the race to win the game. Is Heat looking like a contender for Downforce? So I haven't actually played Downforce. For me, the, the race game that I have all the stuff for is Formula D, Formula Day. I have seen that. And um, which is, is um, a dice rolling game. You, you, there's a different die, a different size die for every gear that you shift into. So shifting and manipulating how much um, wears on your tires and your transmission and all those things too. Um, and, and heat looks like, to me, it looks like Formula Day, but instead of dice, it's cards. And so, yes, I, I would love to get Heat to the table as well to kind of contrast and compare. I have not played Downforce, but I was always interested. So we, we'll we have to add that, that, that to the list. Oh, yes, the ever-growing, ever-expanding list. Um, so, obviously, these are some great board games that you can come in. We didn't even get to all of them. There are still so many more in the new hotness and more to come in the next few days with the holiday season. What are some events this week that people could come and possibly uh, check out the new hotness and, and do at the store at the same time? Uh this week is, I don't think that there's any big major events this week. I think that we purposely kept it lighter with just kind of our regular everyday stuff. The second Tuesday is coming up. Um, or, I'm sorry, third Tuesday. Is, we've got so Gundam builds coming up. We've got, um, but there's no major releases of anything. You know, all our standard stuff like our, our magic events, our Pokemon events, um, Warhammer um, Gundam, uh, local designer, playtest night, all those things are coming up. We are, I think we just confirmed for the, not this week, but a week out for the 17th will be our next gamer night. Uh, that's G-A-Y-M-E-R. And then we've also, we're scheduling our next ladies night, which looks like it's going to be in uh, mid-January. We've got uh, probably the biggest thing coming up is we're getting ready to open up pre-orders for the new Pokemon special set, which is Crown Zenith. And it's the last of the Sword and Shield set. So we're, 
We're waiting on final confirmation for from some of our vendors before we take any special orders on that one, and we should have them hopefully by this week. Um, that set drops in early January too, but it's everything right now is the sprint up to Christmas and and. You know, I left last night and I said, Katie, your number one job is to make customers happy and then restock the shelves. I did my best. Yes. And uh, there I is an event coming up for downtown called um, Stocking Stuffer Saturday as well. And it's on the, I think it's the 18th. And um, that one is all of the downtown businesses. There's like 25 retailers in downtown are going to be promoting and focusing on seven days of fun little stocking stuffer size things that you could pick up inexpensively to fill those stockings for the people that you care about. And dice fit in any stocking size. Yes. We have mystery dice and halfling dice and baby dice. I also want to mention that if you guys have not looked up the Crown Zenith set list, the Galar Gallery is beautiful and I would highly recommend just staring at those for a good 10 minutes. I'm going to guess that's Pokemon because I didn't understand a word of that. That's in Crown Zenith. So okay. if you haven't looked up the Crown Zenith set, let's do so. Galar was the region in Sword and Shield, and they have just made some absolutely beautiful cards. You see, yeah. Jimmy, you, you look at me like Power Rangers. That's way outside my wheelhouse. I, I played the first-gen Pokemon, but nowadays that's where I get to feel my age, where I'm like, I don't know what's going on anymore. They're motorcycles now? I don't understand. Katie just... told me a couple weeks ago that they're approaching a 1,000 different Pokemon. Oh, no, they exists. definitely passed it with uh, Scarlet and Violet. They were at, like, 980 with yeah, Sword and that Shield. Was, we had that conversation right yeah. before the new game dropped. Yeah, so they definitely passed it with Scarlet and Violet. There's uh, over a 1,000 There was a sure. Gen 1, there was 100, and I think it was, like, 135. So gotcha. 151 was original Gen 1. Um, I have, in fact, played Katie my Crooked. way through everything, every single gen when I got into Pokemon. When I get into something, I go hard. <laughs> so um, I have played through every single gen, um, I want to play. If they start, I really hope they start adapting older games to uh, the Switch, so I can play them again. Uh, just because I'm really sick of um, emulators on my laptop. They run so slow on my laptop, so I just want to be able to play on my Switch and um, raise more Pokemon and play things. Well, until they're available. We're going to have to go ahead and shut down the show because we can't wait for that. So with that, our episode comes to a close. I'd like to thank the staff members that joined me today. And if you want your chance to talk about your tabletop with them, come and find them at Red Raccoon Games located in downtown Bloomington, Illinois, where you can rent out our down our downstairs space for parties. Now, a lot of people think, oh, like birthday parties for kids. Yeah, you can do that. And there's going to be people that can help them learn games and play games and stuff like that. But adults... You can do it, too. We've had bachelor parties. Yeah. We've had baby showers. We've had um, uh, rehearsal parties not where they, they didn't do rehearsal dinner. They had a party here and just got together and played games with all the people that were going to be in their uh, their wedding. So we've done all those things, too. And our in the new shop, it's going to even be better. We're going to have a larger space. We're going to have more private spaces for people to be able to play things. It's going to be fantastic. Stick with it. Uh, and if you are interested in seeing all of the advancements uh, that are at the new shop, again, we just want to throw out that the Patreon is there, um, that we are showing off uh, some of the construction build and things along those lines. And, and hopefully you can get your fix if you're very curious about what's going on there. So uh, usually, this is when I'd say, that uh, I want to thank Jillian Mesner for the use of our theme music and uh, feel free to tell us how we're doing by leaving a comment in the podcast app of your choice or come right to the source by emailing us at info at Red Raccoon Games which one of you actually did 
Uh, I'm going to say, uh, oh, of course, now that I'm trying to read this, the message is not loading. That's fantastic. But uh, Tim, who I did not get permission to use his last name, so we're just going to throw that out there, threw out that. It was Tim. Tim. Um, Tim, Tim. You can call me Tim. Tim. Mr. Tim. Uh, he says, hello, RRG. First, I want to say that I enjoy the podcast. It's great to be able to keep up with what's going on with my favorite game store and with the gaming industry. Thank you. That's exactly what we're trying to do here. Uh, however, the audio is really low compared to other podcasts I listen to, which makes it hard to listen, even when wearing headphones. Is there anything you could do to up the audio levels? That would be greatly appreciated. So I'm going to tell you that uh, I am a podcaster by hobby, not by profession. So I'm always looking for ways to improve. This type of feedback is incredibly helpful. We did learn that also an Alexa was being used sometimes to play this. I know that there's a whisper mode on that. I'm not trying to complain on that. I'm just saying that's possibly what's happening. Um, But I will go ahead and try and up the volume. Uh, I will try and do that to this episode. So if it's been incredibly loud and I blew out your eardrums, I'm incredibly sorry. Um, I'm also working with very excitable people. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry space. if I was too loud. We're going <laughs> to fix it in post. It's fine. It's just another 30 minutes of my life I got to put into this. Uh, so I, like I need to make, make you cookies or something as an apology. We're going to put on an extra pop filter for you next time. Uh, but actually, thank you for sending in that email. It's encouraging to hear the first part. And if there are ways that we can make things better, we definitely want to do that. Um, and if you want to throw in an email again, that's info at red Uh, if you throw the word podcast into the subject line, we'll do our best to give you a shout out just like this on the show, but until next time, keep playing. Bye all. <laughs>